Welcome to the Pixels and in Ink podcast. This is the show where we bring you the best tips, tactics, and strategies for using multi-channel marketing to dramatically boost your leads and sales. From the top sales and marketing minds across agencies, print service providers, and enterprise marketers, you'll hear what's working and not working so you can be on the cutting edge without having to empty your wallet in the process. All right, here are your hosts, Mackenzie Farshid and Dave Rosendahl. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Pixels and Ink. I'm joined, as always, by Mackenzie. Yes. Hey, how are you? Great. How are you? Good. Well, today we have an exciting guest. Who do we have lined up today, Mackenzie? We have Steve Huey, who is the CEO of Capture Higher Ed. Mm -hmm. And so who they are is an industry-leading technology firm. And what they do is they combine the principles of big data along with best practices in student enrollment management. So they work with universities in a number of different ways to increase enrollment and to increase applications. And so they do that across a variety of channels. We're talking about all things digital, right? Yep. So we're in the middle of a digital marketing series, as yep. you guys and gals know. And what they do is they really take a truly multi-channel approach, but they employ a digital display targeted strategy to the households of IP targeting. So if you remember, listeners, we spoke to Stacy over at El Toro. You remember that, right, Dave? Oh, yeah. And he talked about their technology, El Toro, that allows people to do IP targeting based on household address. And so what Steve does is he brings this technology to universities who in, in their past have been somewhat traditional, but he brings them into the new age, the digital age to increase applications and increase enrollment. Yeah, that's a good point that you make. There are a couple of things that really stand out to me that you're going to learn in today's episode. And one you just mentioned there, Mackenzie, right, which is how he engages what might be a traditionally, what would you call it, an old school, no mm -hmm. pun intended, uh, kind of industry and uh, get them to see how these new technologies can actually drive results. That was That's a fascinating part of the conversation you, you don't want to miss. A few other things stood out as well. Yep. You're going to hear how he started the company with a unique kind of blending of three disciplines mm -hmm. uh, to create this unique way of going out and finding prospective students. And then how he starts to engage decision makers at these universities to kind of show them where they're leaking in their funnel, if you will, and how he sheds light on that problem in order to get them to see that, you know what, there is a problem, but there also is a solution, which by the way, he offers. And one of the other things I like, which I think will be valuable to you listeners, is that he talks about how to actually approach the university depending on what style they are, what, what kind of methods they currently do. So if they are, if he's talking to, let's say, a data-driven um, statistician or something like that, he would talk in a certain way. And if he's talking to another department, maybe someone in enrollment who's more of the fuzzy, we're bringing students here, he talks to them in a completely different way. So you'll get to hear his insights on how to actually approach these people um, to help them with these problems that they're facing. And so with that, why don't we go hang out with Steve? Sounds good. All righty. Hey, Steve, welcome to Pixels and Ink. How are you today? I am fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. You actually sound great. So we're our listeners are in for a treat. Um, we generally like to start out our podcasts um, getting to know you so that our listeners have some context. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself um, in the business environment, but then also outside, maybe family, hobbies, interests? Sure. I am uh, a finance and accounting guy that ended up being in operations and software. I've spent most of my career in high-tech industries. I had, uh, I had a ringside seat for the first coming of the Internet in 99, uh, 2000, 2001, as one of four people in the M&A group at uh, CMGI, which 
uh, stood for College Marketing Group, Inc., which is crazy to think because they had nothing to do with colleges when I joined them. Wow. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I did over 25 uh, M&A transactions, became a little bit disgusted with it, um, jumped over to help with post-acquisition integration, uh, business turnaround, and then ultimately when the first wave of the Internet crashed, I helped sell companies and shut them down, which was a little unfortunate, but very great, very good experience. And from there, I, I found my way to uh, Atlanta, L.A., and eventually to here at Louisville, Kentucky, where I've been a part of three different uh, startups. This is my third time up to bat uh, with Capture Higher Ed and uh, having a lot of fun. I usually tell people, I, even though Capture Higher Ed is my second uh, education company, uh, I'm not really an education person. However, someone pointed out yesterday that I've worked in higher ed for almost nine years. So that probably means I'm a higher ed person. <laughs> now you are. <laughs> I, it, it's sort of like I've been here long enough that they claim me, maybe. Um, outside of this, I, I do uh, crazy things. Uh, I um, am a CrossFit instructor. Uh, that helps keep me healthy. And what keeps me sane is I, I tell people I go and do wood therapy. I, uh, my family used to have a antique reproduction business. Hmm. And one of those fun facts that uh, most people uh, don't know about me, I was ranked as one of the top 200 craftspeople in the unit, craftsmen in the United States wow. back in the mid-90s. So, I, and you would come to my house and you would say, where's all your really cool furniture that you made? And I'll tell you that I have none. None. Um, you know, uh, when you're when you are a craftsman or an artist, you sell everything and starve still, and you don't keep any of your furniture. So I'm now in the process of building furniture for my house again, which is a lot of fun. So, Steve, you have quite an interesting arc there to your your career. I'm just curious, what led you to founding Capture Higher Ed or starting that company? How did that come into play? It, it was just. An interesting kind of side note, my last company that I worked on with a business partner was um, The Learning House. And at The Learning House, they help colleges take their degree programs and offer them online. Okay. And we were nearing the end of our investment in that company. We had, we had bought the company from its founder and grew it um, pretty well. And we... One of the people that came along that was interested in doing business with Learn, with Learning House was um, a company called Royal and Company. And Royal, um, they helped colleges find traditional students. And at the time, they they were growing, but they were very small. And we, we looked at what was happening. And we said, "Wow, this is a really good business." Because um, you know, some really quick stats for for you is. There's most people understand there's 4,000 colleges in the United States. Now you and I probably can name a hundred. We know we can name 48 or 50 of them, especially around March when basketball mm -hmm. season comes to an end. Sure. But there's 4,000 of them, right? And f these 4,000 schools spend roughly $4 billion a year attracting um, freshmen, people to come eat in their dorms or eat in their cafeterias and live in their dorms. And they spend almost $4 billion a year to do that. Um, the 
problem is, is that it's incredibly challenging mm-hmm. for for them. Last year, as of the May 1st deadline, which is in higher ed kind of the deadline for you declaring what school you're going to go to, only, um, I believe, 37% of the schools had made their class, hmm. uh, meaning that they had reached the, their targeted enrollment. Wow. And, you know, this is, this is a huge problem for them because with the, with the decline of state funding for schools, um, also, you know, limited uh, donors for, for alumni donations, tuition is becoming a much bigger part of their revenue stream. And it's caused such a, a problem that one in four CFOs of colleges believe that their college may go out of business because of their inability to attract students in wow. the foreseeable future. Wow. Yeah, so so crazy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And here we are. We're looking. We're looking at this, um, and we're we're software guys uh, at our heart, and, and technologists. And we said, you know, if we could take the best attributes of what's happening in, with software and technology, combine it with the best practices of traditional enrollment management, and then what we had been exposed to at the learning house, which was non-traditional enrollment management, we could, we believe we could create a better mousetrap. Hmm. And so uh, we found uh, two other people to help us, uh, Bill Miller and Catherine Cook, Miller Cook and Associates out of uh, Marco Island, Florida, Fun place to visit. Um, they brought the expertise of traditional enrollment management to a, to the, to our um, endeavor, and we set off to do build the company. And so we started the company in June of 2011, and uh, it started with exactly one employee and a lot of help from people that didn't get paid from the company. Um, it was crazy. Um, the fun part of it was that Capture grew from zero to almost a million dollars in revenue in the first year. Congratulations. And, uh, That's fantastic. Yeah. It, you know, when you talk to startups, getting over that million dollar mm-hmm. hump is a huge, huge problem. And for us, it really happened quickly. And what was even better is we, we came to the first, end of the first year and we had a shareholder meeting, um, mainly our founders, my fellow founders and I sitting around with, a couple people that had thrown in early money and we were looking at the results that we brought to the industry and we're like, wow, I, I remember sitting there because uh, I was not, I was not the CEO at the time. And I just said, wow, this actually works. And, and, it, and I, and it sounds crazy to say those words, but that literally is what I said in my head. Hmm. Wow, this actually works. And Steve, what do you mean? And, what, what part uh, of it was actually working? You mean your, your view of how, to attract students was actually working for, for colleges? Yeah. Yeah. Our strategies, our take on, on a consistent, consistent messaging, the whole service Got actually it. worked. And, and I'm like, I, I actually want to be involved. I want to be there every day. Cause this is exciting. I enjoy building companies or, or jumping into companies at that stage. And so in, uh, August of the, of 2012, I joined full-time as the CEO, and technically I was employee number six, and that's how we got started. Now, I want to touch uh, on one thing you said, non-traditional enrollment marketing. What does that mean to you? So non-traditional enrollment marketing is the marketing for 
non-traditional students, adult students maybe. Okay. Oh. People that are not high school freshmen. Okay. They're the people that are looking to continue their degree program. Uh, there's 28 million Americans right now that have some college. Hmm. So that, that's a very interesting stat. Some college but not do not have a degree certificate Okay. or a, or a degree. 28 million people. And, you know, at Learning House, we, you know, you could uh, look at the profile pictures of the students that we were helping and uh, predominantly uh, single moms uh, or military personnel. So those, those people make up a large swath of the non-traditional students in the world, in the country. Interesting. That's wow. And so now you work then I'm assuming with, uh, both, you know, college freshmen and all of that, but then also these, these people who need to, or want to continue their education and continue to complete that degree. Yes. You know, uh, Mackenzie, the major part or thrust of our business is really the traditional students. However, I'll tell you that, um, you know, the advances that are happening in marketing automation, uh, our predictive software and, uh, what you can do with digital display advertising has allowed us to come up with solutions and strategies to really help the non-traditional market as well. And so we do we do really interesting work with a, a state school in Ohio. Um, you know, and I, maybe I'm jumping ahead in the in the order of questions uh, that would make this make sense. No but um, what we're able to do uh, with this school is. They said, hey, you know, we kind of think our, our one um, group of people that we'd really like to have come to our school is international students who wish to study engineering. So as you guys know, because you're in this space, you using marketing automation technology, you can easily identify international IP addresses. And then when those people come in, you can, you can create specific dynamic content, and um, specific multi-channel marketing campaigns to reach out to them to do a number of things, to you know, communicate to them that it, the school is an international friendly campus, to tell them the benefits of the program, to help them you know, get in touch with the right people, and to progressively ID who those people are so that the school or the counselors of the school that really know, understand um, the intricacies of getting an international student to be able to come to campus can reach out and talk to them. This program, the, the, the project we did was really a side project for the school in Ohio and using, using those technologies and the digital display advertising, we were able to boost their, their, their applicants by about 60 individuals. Um, and this is over a very short time frame, about two months. Wow. Um, and it's a, it was a huge success. Uh, for them. Can you go w- one little, you know, one layer deeper there and just kind of tell us how, how specifically, you know, not, not in the, in the weeds, but how do you, from your vantage, construct a strategy that takes advantage of all of the technology that we do have available these days to find those 60 students in a relatively short amount of time? What is your, uh, what does the landscape look like for you as you look at how to do that? So you know one of the one of the fascinating things that we found through using some of the stuff that we've created is we see that there are more students coming to uh, a school's website, mm-hmm. specifically the admissions page, um, than they need to make their class. So let's say a school is 
simply just wants good students. There are, there are um, sometimes five to 20 times the number of people coming to their website than they need to actually enroll. The problem is, is that they all slip through the cracks because most of the schools don't know how to interact with them once they, once they, um, the person, the interested person comes to their website. And so the first thing that we do, and, and, and I'm sorry, that lead in was to, to say, the first thing we do is we look at the traffic coming to their website and we have the ability to uh, create specific um, identities for every anonymous visitor. And we begin learning about those anonymous visitors. Um, in the case of this school, we quickly were able to determine that they had um, you know, five to 10 times the number of people coming from international IP addresses than they were getting to even raise their hand and say, I'm interested. Hmm. Now, now that we know that there is natural traffic or a natural amount of demand yep. coming to their website, we have to sit there and figure out how we can identify those people and then engage them in such a way that um, they don't just simply bounce off and go someplace else. And we do that by using dynamic content. So when, when the person comes to the website, we know they come from a foreign IP address. We can change out um, images or texts, text on their website that would grab their attention. Hey, are you an international student? Click here. I'm, and thankfully for our clients, I don't write the copy, right? So, <laughs> um, that, would be a very, that would be a very bad... Uh, Call to action. Text yeah. up there, but... Yeah, very bad call to action, and we have experts that do that. But but you understand the point. Oh, yeah. we, we do something to ra get them to raise their hand. Then you can you can also then you use um, techniques to keep them engaged. Um, it, maybe they're not ready to say, "Yeah, I really want to come to uh, the school in Ohio at that time." But you you can use trackbacks uh, and other uh, I call them, which is not the proper term find me, follow me ads mm -hmm. um, as they continue their journey somewhere else to remind them that that school really is interested in them and can provide them with the services or the special, um, special services that they need. And so display advertising is a key metric in there. But as you, as you continue the conversation with these people, you understand where they're going and what their concerns are. Um, you can, um, we go through a process that we call progressive ID. So maybe they're not ready to say, hey, I want to fill out an information request form, but they'll, they'll say, um, we'll ask them a, a question that says, are you interested in engineering? Yes, no. We know they're interested, but we'll ask them, yes. It's a radial button. Then they say, are you a student or a parent? Well, they say they're a student. Perfect. And as we go through and have these interactions with them, asking not for the, all their information, but just for some snippets. We can then custom tailor their experience, or we're more likely to be able to tailor their experience using dynamic content. Once, we, once they're willing to share even a little bit of information, perhaps they're willing to share an email address, and we know that they're interested in engineering and that they're looking to apply for the fall of 2018. Well, that tells us a lot about the student. Um, we know where they come from. We understand um, what could be difficult about visas to come into the United States, uh, which recently got a whole lot tougher for a few people. Yep. And, um, and, and we, can, we can start 
uh, developing that background history. Now, here's what's really fantastic is at the point that the person wants to have uh, a conversation, we can suggest uh, we can suggest or send messages to the school's counselors to say, hey, please call this student um, and follow up with them. They they are very interested in the school, and um, and that and that's how we would go after um, one of one of these students or international students. It's very interesting. I recently had um, a conversation with another president of a school, and he was very excited because they had worked out a deal with the Saudi government. His school specializes in an area that's very rare. And he was very excited about the, the deal. And he came to me and he said, uh, you know, how would you market to these people? And my first response to him was like, you know, I'm not an expert in Saudi Arabian <laughs> uh, advertising, um, as you guys can imagine. And it was kind of one of these, I was, I was at the dinner party, I had a drink in my hand, and you know, no one that was really intelligent from my company was around me. <laughs> so I, I had to rely on, you know. Natural brilliance. Uh, yeah, maybe. I, actually, it's just <laughs> called getting lucky. And, and I said to the person, I said, you know, I told him the stat about more people coming to his website than he knows, and, and we're, we'd first have to get a feel for how many people are already coming there. And we'd want to stop the leakage. And so he's like, yeah, that's a good idea. He wasn't really quite buying it. And the person that handles his account happened to walk over and, and you know, with her computer. I don't even know why the woman had her computer with her. Hmm. And she entered the conversation and she goes, well, here, let me look it up. And she pulled up his account with us, and we feature a live stream of people coming to his website. And we showed him that Actually, his target for Saudi Arabian students was 10 for the next year. It's very modest, right? Hmm. But um, a very modest number of students coming from Saudi Arabia, but it would make a big difference to the school. And we showed him very quickly that over, over the past 12 months, 103 people came from Saudi Arabia to look at his site. Hmm. And he didn't know anything about it. Um, so it was a great story and uh, of the power of you know, there's a lot of people coming to your website. Can you engage with them, or are you letting them just slip away? Slip away, yep. So, Steve, when you do this for a customer, do you uh, need to take over their CMS, or is this dynamic content somehow inserted into their existing CMS? How does that work? One of the one of the big things that you can imagine is we work with um, uh, universities that have more people in their admissions department than exist in our company. Mm-hmm. We also work with schools that have three people that work in the admissions department. So very, very tiny schools are very, very large schools. In the very, very large schools, um, it, there are bureaucratic nightmares to get things changed on their website. In the very, very small schools, they just simply don't have anyone. So we had to develop a solution that um, once our five to seven lines of code are placed on um, the website, we can uh, overlay uh, images and to to be able to kind of intercept the view, the page view. That makes sense. That makes sense. And and what about this issue of the profiles that you're creating for these individuals? Let's say the 103 that came from Saudi Arabia. 
How do you actually connect those profiles across device? So one of them comes to visit the site from his laptop and then later in the day uses his cell phone. How are you solving that challenge? Yeah, so this is, it's not, um, it's not perfect science. Okay. Uh, if, if you, um, if you click, if we know who you are, if we've identified you, if you came from one of our media, uh, email, text, um, even a, a, a direct mail where you have a specific code, we would be able to identify you. Okay. If you're not, and you simply travel there by typing in, you know, usschool.edu, we would register you as two separate people, and we'd match you only after you clicked on some identifying um, link. Makes sense. So okay. it's not perfect. Yep. It's not perfect. Yep. But, uh, you know, well, I'll tell you one of the fun things about this is, you know, we've done, we did early diagnostics of understanding the URL that someone's coming in from. And it, we've found that obviously during the school day, let's say at 10 a.m. in the morning on a Monday or a Tuesday, someone read, someone pops in from a residential IP address. Well, we know it's a parent mm -hmm. and not a student, right? And so you can intuit some really interesting things from, you know, what the IP address is and where it's located. If it's from a school, uh, you are very you you can be pretty sure that it's a student, and you can engage them in that way. And, and we do a ton of work. Uh, our guys do a ton of work on trying to determine who's who and how to tailor messages for unidentified uh, visitors to the website. Interesting. That's that's fantastic. So I know we just touched about different media channels. You said a few there, text, um, direct mail. Why don't you tell our listeners what uh, channels, both offline and online, you actually do incorporate into your programs for your customers, typically in a typical program? We use uh, direct mail, obviously, still very important. We call it smart direct mail because uh, we've found that uh, through using some of our prediction software, we can determine who are the most likely targets uh, or potential responders, and we narrow the list down to those people for an initial outlet reach. And then we watch as people interact with other um, marketing channels, uh, email or text messaging or um, specific things on the website um, as well. I kind of got off track, and I apologize, but direct mail – email, texting, um, we, social media is a great, um, a great way to interact with students. And then through the uh, school's website itself, using um, dynamic content. Those are some of the ways that we interact with students. So one of the questions we get asked often, Steve, is, you know, because we, we preach the mantra of multi-channel um, similar to what you're describing, yeah. folks are always asking us, um, okay, how do I, like in real life, how do I actually pull all of these things together and get my email to work with my direct mail, to work with my display ads, to work with um, the content on my website? How would you answer that for somebody who's like, all right, I know you can do this stuff, but how do I really do it from a practitioner's point of view? I think one of the biggest lessons that we've learned over our company's history is it's, it's something that you have to do consistently, but also you have to look at the investment that you want to make along the road. Um, and you think about it as, a, as not a funnel that you're trying to get your 
get uh, clients or prospective clients or in our case, prospective students to go through. But you consider the, the work that McKinsey and company did on a, the consumer's decision journey. Mm-hmm. And you think about it in, in, the, in the idea of that. Hey, this person wants to first find out about your firm and they, they're looking for specific information. And if you can help them find that specific information um, as quickly and efficiently as possible, um, that's what they're looking for. But after that initial outreach to make them aware of your service or to inform them that you exist, if you help them as, as, as they're trying to make their decision journey, you help them through that. And I, I got I to tell you this, this really crazy thing that we learned very early in our company's history. So we had, we had a partner or a client, and at the time we were, you know, it was rough. Uh, we had five people in our company, and we um, created an email campaign that included eight different emails. Hmm. And Does, we you would, mean eight different versions the, of the email? Yes, eight okay. different versions of mm-hmm. an email that said, you know, that said, and forgive me, like, once again, I don't write the content, but the gist of it was apply now. Okay. Um, and we'd send these eight emails um, out in eight successive weeks, right? One a week. And then, you know, we got to week nine and we're like, oh no, what do we do? And we said, well, let's send them again. And we actually had a greater response rate at, out of uh, the second email series, which was exactly the same email just sent again um, than we did the first one. Hmm. So it's crazy. And so it kind of says to everybody that's trying to, pre- to do this, um, re- repetition and consistency make a huge difference. Uh, don't, you know, don't think that one, one email or one touch is does enough. the job. Yep. You have to, con- no, you have to consistently send out uh, messages to your intended audience. Yep. yep. And, you know, the other thing we found that was shocking was you would send it, we, because we have specific um, uh, identified links in the emails that we send out, uh, we know that we, we have several instances, or actually I can't, the rate of is very interesting. Uh, we, we have instances of people clicking on a link in an email that we sent three months before. Oh, yeah. Yep. That happens with yeah, us, too. Either, <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of crazy, right? Because if you, if you ask me, I don't, with my Gmail account, yeah. I, I don't think I see an email after three days ever again. Yep. But um, that's, I, I, I don't think I'm the rule. I think I'm the exception. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely so, an end of one type situation. We're not, you're not necessarily like the folks that you're yeah. sending those emails to. And I think that's another lesson everyone should say, right? You, you are not your customer. Yeah. But consistency is one thing. Um, actually, you know, we found drawing out your communication plan mm-hmm. uh, is incredibly valuable. Being able to say, okay, here is here are the initial messages or value propositions we want to send to people, and if they take this action, we want to do this, mm-hmm. and if they take that action, we want to do this. Tapping that out and having the tools necessary. To do that are the difference between winning and not, in my opinion. So we're in the midst of a series where we're talking about specifically how to 
include IP targeting as a, a mechanism along with direct mail to achieve lead gen and uh, revenue objectives. So I'd love to transition now into talking a little bit more specifically about how you use IP targeting to support direct mail or any other channel for that matter that you might find it applicable in and what kind of uh, results you see for customers who are doing that. Sure. So we have, um, we have over 50 clients that we work with and direct mail pieces were the rage of 10 years ago and they would buy a list of potential students. They would send uh, a very expensive uh, direct mail piece called a view book that was like a, a pitch catalog for their school. Mm-hmm. And the, the postage for those view books would be at a dollar twenty-five all on itself, and so they and that would be the extent of what they were doing, and it worked back then. But if you have ever seen it, um, someone in high school today, they bypass, they walk past the mailbox on the way in to the to to their house. Yep. Not in all cases. Not in all cases, but very regularly do they not pay attention to their mailbox and you know even and it's becoming even more so that they're not paying too much attention to their email accounts either um, so you have to reach them in other ways digital display advertising and IP targeting are fabulous tools we work with a company called El Toro El Toro is unique in that they we have a lot of faith in them because they can use IP targeting and actually within a very good attend rate, tell you the physical address of the IP address uh, as well, and do that match. So our clients still buy lists of names of the ideal students for their school, and we help them do that using uh, a lot of data analysis. The, the problem is, is that direct mail sometimes is too expensive for some of these schools. Mm-hmm. And so we can use IP, we can we can use the physical address of the student with the IP targeting help from El Toro to send digital display advertising into the home. And we can get very sophisticated on this. We can sit there and say, you know, um, and forgive me, I once again, I don't write copy, but hey, little Johnny, do you know that uh, XYZ school has a scholarship for you waiting, waiting for you in the amount of, you know, Five billion dollars, and and by using the IP targeting, um, let's say that that when that message goes through, someone clicks on the ad and follows it back. Well, we know who we sent that specific ad to. We know they clicked on it. We know they came to the website. We know they're engaged. Now, what we do with them follows the path of the rest of the communication plan. Yep. So we we know they're engaged. Now it's really worth sending them a direct mail piece because they're, they're, they've shown some interest. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that they, in a lot of cases, we want to make sure that they know that the school really is interested in them coming to the school. And so as, the, as we know that they're engaged, we'll send them a more expensive uh, direct mail piece. And in this way, we, we kind of uh, play on this a little bit and we say we don't send direct mail, we send smart direct mail. And uh, with today's one-off printing, uh, the one-off printing that you can do is very cost um, efficient. 
and you can you can send a dynamic piece of smart direct mail to the student that's engaged. And that that's an example. Can, can I just make sure I understand that correctly? What you're saying is your view is you send a, a piece that's not as expensive to engage that individual or, or try to engage them, um, as well as put a display ad in front of them. And if they then interact with that display ad, then send them a more personalized, uh, more costly uh, direct mail piece to that individual? Is that your approach? Yes, in many cases, that is our approach. And, and, and behind the scenes, we have, a lot of, we have a lot of software that does predictive analytics. Um, and so we can help schools target um, their you know, top 25% most likely people to, to want to be engaged or want to come to the school. Uh, and so we can we can allocate or um, figure out where to spend those precious marketing dollars and the most costly uh, marketing media. For us, digital display advertising um, yields uh, an impressive result um, if we combine normal what I'd call normal offline tactics and email tactics along with digital display ads once we either either to engage the student for the first time or once we know the student is engaged we see about a 20 percent increase in those students that uh, complete the application process so it's a huge win i think um i think the dollar amount you know and this is very gross is an, a, the incremental ninety uh, an incremental ninety dollars uh, results in that twenty percent boost, and for that for us and our clients, that's money well spent. I know you just said you get that that big twenty percent more incremental. How do you actually know, for example, that these people are applying, and then are those people that are applying more likely than to actually enroll? So uh, the answer to the last question is yes, they are more likely to enroll. We, but how do we know all that? We have a very sophisticated tracking uh, set up with our digital display vendor, El Toro, and they they send us a, a attached attached list by name, mm. and then obviously if we have the address and we know the person's name yep. and who who specifically we sent digital display ads to, we can track them all the way through the process. Interesting. And so to, to prove. Yeah, to prove the ROI on this is, is pretty easy, given um, how much we know about the potential students. I'm interested just to learn about, you know, from the university's perspective, how do they how do they take these new technologies? You know, I know universities are in some cases a really traditional organization or a traditional um, industry. So when you go to them and you're like, hey, you've got new students, you know, obviously you've got to going to speak relevantly to them. You have to change your marketing or adapt your marketing to the ever changing world of digital and students. And, you know, maybe they do walk past that mailbox. How does how do they take this and then how do you communicate? that you know what this is what we're going to do and this is how yeah. it's going to besides the fact that of course you have use cases that it works yeah you know it, it is it is uh, amazing you know, one of the stats that i saw recently and i'm probably not going to get it exactly right is that marketing automation software is used in 60 percent of the fortune 500 but when you expand that to the fortune 2000 there's only about a 20 percent adoption rate um when you're talking about higher ed, 
higher ed is a very conservative industry. Mm-hmm. You know, prove it works, prove it works and prove that 10 of my colleagues are using it and then I'll consider it type of industry. So we, you know, you seek out the early adopters and you, we've sold to those people and we can prove that this works. A lot of schools um, are, a lot of schools are very aggressive. Um, the best schools are very aggressive. They understand this, this, the data, and you win through talking about the data and what the results are. There's a lot of schools that simply there's no one left. Remember I said at the very, very small schools, there's only, you know, six or seven people, and, you know, they simply need help. And, and that's why we, come, we came to the, to the belief that it's not good enough just to say, hey, um, here's the software industry, you use it. it. We have to have a managed services approach because a lot of these people don't have the, the resources mm-hmm. or the capabilities. I mean, you know, a lot of the people, you know, the industry, higher ed employs a lot of people that are very great relationship people. And, they, and to be honest, I, I want my daughter and my son talking to those relationship people, not a bunch of quants in the back room because you know, going off to college is a big, it's a big uh, step in your adult life, et cetera. But, you know, the, the thing is, is that they're not necessarily equipped to or want to, you know, study the numbers and, and understand what's going on. So it's, it's, a good, it's a good partnership. You know, we come and we bring our expertise and yeah. we do our stuff so that they can spend more personal time talking to students about their programs mm-hmm. and what the environment's like, et cetera. And, and I think, you know, as we talk to the schools, one of the funny thing that's, I, things that I've seen happen over the last six years that we've been doing this is that the people in these positions, uh, the people in charge of enrollment or admissions, they're becoming much more data-focused. And so they know that you, you're in one school we work with, they carve up um, – this, the actual size of a street that they recruit students from. Wow. So one counselor has the left side of the street, one counselor has the right side of the street. So it is becoming much more data-centric wow. and data-focused. So, you stand back, there's some schools that are just amazing at this, that they cause us to run hard, and we employ you know, data scientists. I actually have several PhD guys running around that, that do this. Um, so some schools are giving us a run for the money and then some schools are simply, you know, they're good people wanting to uh, find students where their school's the best fit. And, uh, you know, they get teary eyed telling you about, um, you know, the graduates they just had. So, so, you know, there's a mix of everything. Mm-hmm. So Steve, do you actually call what you do marketing automation when you're speaking to the higher ed institution or do you call it something else? We adapt to the person we're talking to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. If the person, if the person we're talking to is uh, one of the analytic, more analytical people, we'll we'll discuss it as marketing automation uh-huh. and predictive analytics. Okay. Because a large portion of what we do is predictive analytics. Um, if we're not talking to, if we're not talking to someone who's very analytical, we, you know, we use language like we can help. Uh, improve your enrollment by studying the data. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm going to be honest. More and more of the industry is much more data focused than it used to be. 
And I think I think everyone's inspired by some of the stories written, you know, the money ball type of stories that are written. And um, people are coming becoming much more savvy to what marketing automation is and the data that uh, is behind it and supports it. Awesome. Well, gosh, you've been such a wealth of knowledge, especially in, in this higher ed, which is, you know, these people, like you said, it starts as an industry, um, you know, with these statistics you gave where they just are, you know, needing help. I mean, if there's so much untapped opportunity there. So kudos to you guys for getting more uh, students enrolled and helping these colleges. And um, I'd like to ask, because I know people will probably want to uh, reach out. How can people get in touch with you? Well, we have it's we have we're doing our own blog series. We have a podcast mm-hmm. by a data scientist. If that if that part is interesting to you, it's called the wait list. Uh, you can find it on uh, iTunes. And it is but spelled wait w e i g h t. Just for listeners, because I know that in case you go Google that. Yeah, the you know you you allow um, two very analytical guys to do this. You give them some beer, and some of the stories are hilarious. <laughs> They, are they typically say that they re- they record these podcasts and, and you know it's it's kind of fun to let uh, very analytical people be creative. Uh, they record these podcasts usually on a Friday evening or afternoon as they drink uh, IPAs, and it, you know it, it if you're an analytical person, this is probably the funniest stuff you'll hear. Um, but honestly, to reach out to us capturehighered.com. We have a ton of blogs that try to help the industry out. Um, and I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you letting me. Of course. Yeah. So we'll also listeners in the show notes and the blog link you to their website and uh, link you to that podcast too. They are funny. You can hear them uh, cracking open their beers and they talk about actually what type of beer they're, they're drinking that day. So if you are interested in beer, you'll also get that there too. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of fun. You can't be serious all the time. That's right. That's absolutely right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Steve. Uh, We really appreciate your time. I know our listeners learned a lot, and it was a pleasure having you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me, and I I thank you for doing this for the world of marketing automation. Amen, baby. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Have a good rest of the day. Well, that about wraps it up with our session with Steve over at Capture Higher Ed. I know I learned a lot from that and uh, we're hoping that you did too. So a few really important things, rate, review, subscribe. Again, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, so that we can continue to bring you new series, more educational content. Again, pass this on to anyone who you feel would find it helpful and useful and educational. And uh, we love bringing this to you. And stay tuned next week for our continuation of our journey down the digital marketing, digital advertising uh, series or mini series. All right, guys and girls, have a good rest of the day, good rest of the week, and we'll see you next time. See you next week. Later. Bye. You've been listening to the Pixels and Ink podcast with Mackenzie Farsheed and Dave Rosendahl. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit mindfirestudio.com slash blog. We look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, keep testing your marketing to find out what works for you and your business and get ready for your leads and revenue to grow. We'll see you in the next episode. We should get Kush just that snippet. Hello. Just, huh? it, you know, when your dad does that, no, he walks into a room say- and he goes, hello. Huh? Huh? <laughs> you call me Steve. Shh. This is good for that. <laughs>
Chicka chicka whirr. Okay. <laughs>